0: Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Yeah. Hello, hello. 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 Where's the other co-host?
1: uh well he, he's been having a wild morning and we just got him uh off somewhere else uh being active doing something somewhere else so um i i just got in from out the yard he's been having quite a run this morning
0: he likes uh the half pipes out there i saw something <laughs> I well, uh,
1: Point Pinot has 2,700 acres of open space and most of it is off-leash trail. Uh, there's, some, there's some asphalt kind of trail stuff that dogs have to be on leash because uh, some, some people like have wheelchairs or, you know, fishermen hauling stuff back and forth for the pier are on that road. But the rest of it's all off-leash and there's a section, as you saw, have, that has the trail kind of cut through the hill that it, it, it behaves like a half pipe so he's he runs from the top on one side down swooping through to the top on the other side back and forth and kind of and I don't know he, he jumps from the sides on all the way to the bottom you know, kind of bounding around he's a crash dummy dog when he's running um, he's still up and yeah. as fast as he's growing his, his, his his front end is pretty good, but his hind end can't quite figure out where he's going sometimes. So he'll sideswipe stuff. So. Have you scanned he, his
2: brain yet, Jay? <laughs> uh,
1: no, uh, no, I, Just in case. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll let him be the dog he's uh, growing up to be. He, he, he's actually doing really quite well. Um, we're we're pleased with all the puppy play groups and everything having gotten him socialized. So, yeah, he can, He's um, getting good we, report cards good so far so far so uh he he does have a little imp in him still so but that's good
0: so that's me- men- mental health in the news so many things to talk about pick one let's go on a tangent anything strike your fancy guys gals
2: i don't know i mean we've already talked about the resilience issue in mental health right that's a big one um, but I think the, the other is in terms of like what type of treatment our professionals offering. Um, as we were here on, um, uh, on, on screen ourselves, um, I think it's great in terms of being able to communicate some basic things, but I think when you really, really are in crisis, you need face-to-face, heart-to-heart. And I have a bit of an issue with, um, you know, the propagation of only online counseling. I really uh, question uh, the length of treatment, the efficacy of the treatment. Um, but I, you know, I'm in the minority, you know, a, a lot of studies have come out and say it's 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 a okay. But I'm a bit concerned not just I mean, we are obviously going to throw in neurotherapy, but the length of the treatment that I'm seeing on uh, online or on screen um, uh, therapy tends to be longer than that face to face. Um, shall, shall we loop in the neurotherapy, Jay? That, that, that's the cure Come <laughs> on in and get some electrodes on your brain. We have you in and out a lot faster.
1: <laughs> so, that they're, you know, ha- having um, online accessible uh, therapists is probably a good thing for a lot of people. But if, uh, there's some people that are in severe crisis that have to have some uh, face-to-face or in, in, you know, inpatient work as well. And that has to be available. Unfortunately, our uh, health denial system ends up making it very difficult. Even though they're you know, it's listed as a service that's provided, is is um, is uh, unfortunately difficult to get proper medical care. And uh, the the desperate families uh, uh, contacting, trying to get help for an, an adult autistic uh, who's acting out. Uh, end up having the police respond, you know, and uh, what, what are they going to do? You know, the, their training is not for, uh, getting uh, big Johnny to behave, uh, they're, you know, they're, yeah. Uh, it, it, it doesn't go well. And, um, uh, luckily, uh, we still do see office, uh, folks seeing people, uh, even though We've struggled through the pandemic and shutdowns and whatnot. Uh, that the offices are still open. Here's the co-host.
0: Oh, okay. There we
1: go. <laughs> uh, he, he decided he's turning the other way. There's still something going on in the kitchen. So,
0: but all the time um, therapists are full. They're busy. They can't. They can't <laughs> handle any more people.
2: Yeah, but there's. I think you know one of the things we need to put on the table as well one is the you know the talk therapist um and I, I don't you know i think based on region there are different levels of schooling of education but I'm, i kind of want to talk about scope of practice um one of the issues i think also with individuals and uh, i don't want to sound too elitist or or snobby here but with broader knowledge bases so when we talk about you know registered psychologists they're doing a lot of assessment as opposed to direct intervention, and again, that assessment very frequently leads to a pharmacal non-solution. Um, and you know, then you have a wide breadth of what we call the counselors who are dealing with more and more extreme um, uh, cases. That that talk therapy, uh, you know, it, it helps, uh, but it's a really really slow process. So I think we need a bit of a call. Uh, for individuals who have really good experience with, you know, being in the trenches with not just garden variety uh, anxiety and depression, but, you know, the, the real deal um, to uh, get out there and um, uh, be, being pro- providing other things than just assessment. Probably going to get in trouble uh, for saying that, um, but, you know, sometimes it needs to be said. And I think that's where we kind of loop into going to the mechanism itself, you know, yeah. the brain, um, and, you know, blending that with the environment, you know, why did all of this happen, uh, after the pandemic? What is the reason? What What are the cultural negative supports? Why are we always going back to this negative homeostasis of, of, of depression and anxiety?
1: And I have to say that in, um, uh, Longitudinally, having seen data streams of eyes closed data uh, across the years, it's hard now to see uh, young teens um, actually make it through a 10-minute study with their eyes closed and stay awake. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the degradation of the quality of sleep uh, from 1999 to now average two hours less per night Mm -hmm. Now, that has a negative influence on your brain function during the day, and there's no way around it. When we see the EEGs um, looking like ADD, but it's basically drowsiness, um, eyes closed, anteriorized alpha, anteriorized theta, comprise the deep A and B stages of vigilance, if you understand vigilance modeling, a European approach to analyzing EEG uh, vigilance. And it, it, you know, if over a 20 year period, we've lost two hours of sleep, we're essentially chronically sleep deprived as all these young kids are sleep deprived. You know how well the brain works when it's sleep deprived? Yeah. Yeah, man. It, uh omission errors, commission errors, odd reaction time, you're going to start to test and look like you have ADD when all you have is really horrid sleep hygiene. And, um, the, 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 the mental uh, state is not well regulated, all sorts of bad actions can happen. So, um but uh, if i were a parent i would be paying close attention to little jane and little johnny's aura ring or fitbit or something that's monitoring their sleep because if they're not sleeping well they're going to have mental problems cuz anybody's brain when it's sleep deprived has mental problems yeah
2: i think we what we're facing is a big you know cultural uh crisis here um, you know, to piggyback what Jay was saying, you know, what what is the first form of torture? Um, you know, in, you know, whether it's military or whatnot, it's it's sleep deprivation, you know, what do you do when you want to get information and and have people give re- impulsive answers is sleep deprivation. So, but there's another uh, component here, and maybe a shameless plug for my book, I, I go into that in a lot of detail. But there's this there's this horrid buy in of you know how active children need to be um you know families are racing around right, left, and center going to this practice and that practice and and this training and that training, and kids are go 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 um and then their their downtime is another stimulant uh which is um you know the uh, the interactive, really, really high arousal. Um, you know, whether it's scrolling or gaming or what, what have you. Um, so I, I'm really pro rediscovering, you know, the, the beautiful middle ground, the quiet, not to be confused uh, with mindfulness exercises and mindfulness training. Um, but that true quiet space, that true boredom, you know, from which innovation and curiosity sparks, and also a nap here and there right? Um, So I I think we're talking about a bigger picture uh, crisis, like how can we really reach parents uh, to say it's okay to slow down. In fact, your kids aren't going to be behind because you slow down. They're actually going to be ahead for it.
0: I haven't heard the DSM-5 yet, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) The parents can't pay for it if it doesn't exist it's like a tree falling in the woods if nobody's there you know to make a sound well if it doesn't exist in DSM-5 is it is it really an issue
1: yeah well the DSM-5 is the issue and and, and we're always uh, hearkened back to it you know the uh they, they basically said they weren't going to fund research that was DSM-5 oriented they would only do research domain criteria um, you know, uh, more pure research without the uh, diagnosis being associated with it because the DSM doesn't it doesn't have any predictive validity. Uh, it doesn't predict what med you're going to respond to. It doesn't predict anything except your billing category. So um, uh, the, the, the research needed to go away from it. But there's still orienting back to it. Um, that they, they want the QEG to co-register with the DSM category. Well, you know, you're taking something that's real and trying to co-register it with something that's imaginary. And the imaginary is not the QEG. That That's quite real. Um, so it, the DSM is still uh, kind of haunting uh, the, the research literature as a false... Category you have to compare yourself to, and and that's really quite unfortunate. Um, that uh, there's, there's progress, a, here, progress away know. from it uh, in in identification of biomarkers and neuromarkers and um, uh, the you know thalamocortical dysrhythmia as a, a failure mode within different brain networks, uh, uh, transdiagnostic um, uh, as a failure mode. That can be treated, uh, and and yeah, uh, you know, identified uh, without a, a human. It's a machine learning algorithm can identify it even. So the validity of it is really quite potent. Um, when they find the dysrhythmia, and they they identify the location, they can predict what your symptom is. So you know it's 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 a. Uh, 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 it's an important uh, getting away from the DSM, and it points quite directly when you see it um, as a way of how to how to fix it. So, yeah, you know, we we are on the cusp of you know kind of escaping the DSM, but it's still it's, it's like being in quicksand. It's, it's still sucking at our feet, not letting us go, and um, and and that that's frustrating. Uh, And that I I quite commonly end up having people say, well, I have XYZ uh, as a diagnosis, Uh, what protocol should I use? Oh, well, the the DSM predicting neurofeedback protocols now, huh? Um, No predictive validity, none, zero. So uh, don't, don't use a diagnostic category you think you have to try to pick Uh, a a protocol. You have have to go based on uh, biomarkers, neuromarkers, um, endophenotypes, those sorts of things.
2: If I can jump in here, Jay, um, I I think there's actually some really indirect good news um, out here. If you just look at how long, how long it took Uh, to get the latest version of the DSM out. You know, how much argumentation. So it's starting the bubble. Um, And I think the really good news is there are enough of us, you know, doing things like NeuroNoodle and and chatting. You know, if somebody says, I have a depressed client, um, you know, everybody says, okay, what does the EEG say? You know, we we just kind of go with that as, okay, a title, uh, not a diagnosis. Um, And I think the other one is, you know, looking at the rise of the clinical databases. So I think there are a couple of really interesting things happening. And within specific disciplines you know we're moving on ahead leaving the dsm behind but i think this kind of loops into what i was saying before that i think there are a lot of really really qualified people out there stuck in assessment and diagnosis and this is my appeal to any university professors out there um please you know open up spend a few more than a couple of weeks on the biomarkers um you know that's where we really really have to have to get in
0: yeah how, how are we getting out of the we say we're on the cusp of getting away from the dsm-5 but i'm under the impression that in order for insurance to pay it's gotta yeah. coincide with it right so well uh, hearken back to the
1: interview with uh we've had previously or evian gordon um and uh Martine Arns. Uh Martine's uh, presentation at Sassoon uh, summit uh, this year uh pointed to a, a way to stratify decision making based on neuromarker biomarker. Um and in its peer-reviewed published uh, it was, uh, that particular presentation is, is in press now. So the the basis uh for uh, the literature to support uh, biomarker-based decision making, in you know, a in a way that doesn't require everybody coming through the door to have a complete assessment, uh, but it, it it ends up uh, um, yeah, uh, with routine decision making points uh, that end up having biomarkers that will end up uh, sorting people into different treatment categories and. That that approach, I think, is really quite powerful. And uh, uh, Evian and his team are looking for um, an an inexpensive uh, screener uh, device. Um, uh, And and if there's anything odd in the screening, uh, then a more full assessment is done. Uh, But they're uh, they're they're looking at um, biomarker based. Uh, stratified uh, treatment decisions. So you you get to a point, is it this or that, and then the the EEG finding ends up making the decision. So um, I also have to say that there's a lot of AI looking at EEG. And at some point um, that there's likely to be some uh, uh, AI influence over uh, some of this. Um, That said, AI needs a lot more data Uh, and, you know, they start out thinking happily that they'll just toss the data at the AI and it will tell them things. And it apparently needs to be guided a lot more than that because they don't have a large enough, broad enough database uh, for for it to end up uh, uh, kind of as an, an unregulated search. Yeah, we have
2: to, I'd say like every other discipline that really hopped on the AI bandwagon, our discipline has to be not just as cautious, more cautious, because our errors are not going to be as apparent, you know, whether we, you know, the the garbage in, garbage out, um, bias in, bias out, you know, and and here I'm going to launch another big appeal, like, clean your bloody data, you know, um, (laughs) know how to read raw data before you put any of this into, uh, AI. Um, you know, I, I talked about AI versus AI. We, we, the, um, the other guest we had on was talking about, you know, human in the loop, all, all of that, excuse me, uh, is absolutely imperative. So I'm going to be screaming, not from the sidelines, from the center of the field, uh, you know, make sure what, Every data you're putting in is clean, clean,
1: clean. Yeah. And the data has to be representative of the general population for it to end up having a general uh, ability to make a statement. And right now, uh, data that's available to EG people in hospital settings are all epilepsy and encephalopathies. They don't have general psychiatric populations, you know, with the EG data. So. That you know, it's uh, it's going to take quite a bit of time for the uh, mass of data uh, sufficient for uh, the algorithms to scrub over. Uh, a, a crude estimate would suggest that if they have a broad base and about five hundred thousand EEGs,
0: they might have something. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know? you're at a million can we say a million now yeah uh, I,
1: I i don't claim anything past the oh, all right all right the, the 90s we're not
2: enough. even talking about... I, i'm these. so
1: old there's no memory anymore anyway you know yeah. so uh, why uh, why consider any new ones at, at all so. yeah.
2: and we've got culture and we've got region we've got heterogeneous groups and homogeneous yeah. groups i mean all this all this type of stuff you know we, we, we have to make sure there's good science behind
1: all of this yeah yeah, yeah uh, uh, evidence-based and personalized, mm-hmm. and uh, those, those two principles uh, should be guiding our uh, choices in therapy, and um, unfortunately, there's still a lot of uh, DSM-based wild guessing. Uh, the, the number of times I've heard of somebody having an out-of-control event and being given an antipsychotic and having them get worse and we look at the EG and find that they have temporal lobe epileptiform discharges. If you would have looked at the EG in the first place, you would have known better than to give an antipsychotic. They need an anticonvulsant to stop their out-of-control behavior. Pseudobulbar affect is quite often due to epileptogenic process, not due to psychosis. Yeah. And, you know, pe- treating somebody based on the DSM. Oh, they were, they were crazy. They must need an antipsychotic. Yeah, you know, well, uh, they behaved oddly. They need to have their brain checked, and then that'll tell us what to treat. Yeah, you know, you're looking
2: back into the big problem again. If you have a police officer that's responding to that, I mean, you're so many degrees away from the actual knowledge base yeah. that's going to be able to help the individual in crisis.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, now well, for the police officer themselves.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, they're they're, they're being put into a circumstance they're not trained for and not appropriate for. And and we need to have dispatchable uh, social interface of some sort uh, to assess uh, psychiatric uh, emergencies. And uh, um, uh, some of those require uh, some force backup, but at the same time, you'd end up having an interface with somebody who's got a, an idea that, oh, this is an autistic adult, um, in, in a crisis, and they're not going to understand or respond to command. And, you know, that uh, have, uh, the de- de- de-escalation has to happen. Yeah. But it, you know, our, our, uh, our society, um, uh, ends up being a, a massive society with huge pressures and, um, uh, the, the percentage of the society that have uh, high ACEs scores um, and end up being reactive because of it, um, it, you, uh, it, it reminds me uh, back in the era when they were starting to talk about nuclear uh, fission and uh, they, they would have a bunch of ping pong balls mounted on, on uh, mouse traps in a room. They would toss one little ball in, and the whole room would suddenly explode with little mouse traps going on. Well, the, uh, we've got all these people out there that are keyed up, like the mouse traps that are loaded because of their earlier life experiences, and they're all easily triggerable. And you toss a uh, uh, toss one little thing out there, and y- you get excessive reactions out out of out of character level reactions. And yeah, uh, you know, uh, th- there's a, a boiling point or critical mass calculation for most um, m- most systems. Uh, we don't have such a calculation for our social system. But I think we're sitting pretty close to that point. <laughs> um, and uh, the, uh, the, the ability to, to break through um, and have a A state change and and have things essentially blow up um, is is right on the edge in many communities.
0: Well, the control rod for the to control the (laughs) the, yeah the fission fission is you know the social media and the advertising and the compare comparing yourself to somebody else and, and and all that as dr marie says you know the the screen time the more screen time that you're on you know that only accelerates the problem right doctor
2: yeah i think we we're in a crisis of dissatisfaction you know everybody is always comparing themselves <clears throat> to these alter egos these ideals <clears throat> excuse me um and no i think mean, we're not even getting into the yeah the, the you know the generalized misinformation the you know we always kind of knew at some point you know when the pretty lady held up a soap box in 1952 we knew the lady was selling soap right and she was being paid to sell soap but i think a lot of the things with the influencers we 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 lose connection it, it it's so Um, I would say falsely personalized at this point. I mean, good gosh, uh, Pete, you know, I could go on literally for hours for this, but I think we're dealing with a globalized, distant, distant, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I'll take
0: 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. No, we're dealing with
2: a globalized disenchantment. I I, I think, you know, when uh, boiling down to lack of community, everybody is, is exhausted. Um, You know, as I said before, the level of, you know, DSM, non-DSM, but, you know, people feeling disenfranchised, people feeling anxious, people feeling depressed, people feeling unsupported, um, go, go, go and and sleep deprived. And then if we kind of get into the, you know, the generalized community is, you know, as Jay was talking um, you know, you have individuals uh, that are in crisis because of unknown eleptiform. We have individuals in crisis because they're neuroatypical, and and people, you know, families are having trouble managing. We have the, you know, the drug crisis, you know, and first responders. How do they know where they're going or what they're doing? So we we stick them with something to calm them. You know, we're talking about a much bigger issue yeah. here, but. If you bring that person in and put some electrodes on their head,
0: (laughs) yeah, Um, so
2: uh,
0: Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. Yes. What's going on with that? Is it that I I want that rush of the dopamine or what's going on? I think there's a lot of that going on out there. I mean, we
2: started talking about this, oh my gosh, 15 years ago, you know, Um, this is a created crisis. Okay. This is essentially where you create arousal um, for it's part of the attention economy. If you constantly make somebody feel that they need to be present, need to be following, or they feel physically unsettled and therefore mentally unsettled, you have the absolute ideal consumer. It's 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 intentional. Uh, One of the things that I hate, even on the radio now, I I know I've mentioned this a couple of programs back. um, On the radio, uh, it used to be like after this song we'll talk about this. No, it's tomorrow or it's after three songs. Uh, Same thing in terms of television. Um, You know these pauses on game shows and the music plays everybody is playing with our arousal trying to keep us right on the edge and then we wonder why we feel anxious you yeah. know it's everywhere everybody is playing with our arousal cycles Jay, can you name or even pete can you name one thing apart from perhaps a solitary walk with no devices where somewhere someone some agency is not playing with your arousal cycle
0: well, first of all, what's a radio? Number two. <laughs> no, yeah. No, no, number number two, it's not. It's not listening to three songs. It's like binging. It's yeah. no, there's not waiting till the next episode next week. It's yeah. I'm going to consume it all right now and not yeah. sleep and take it all in.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's the more, 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 um, you know, they, it's, it, it's the, the illness of cornucopia. Um, you know, I, I call it an illness of, of, of gluttony. Um, yeah. And what has happened to our psychoneurophysiology where we feel that we need more, need more, need more, and we're never satisfied. I mean, we're literally being programmed for this. I mean, there, there's no pun intended in that at all Uh, very few things um, you know the arousal cycle does not complete we're satisfied when the brain and the body become aroused together they crest and they come down together this should be a satisfaction okay? and we're always I shouldn't lose absolutes but in many of the things that we do we come up here and we're left here yeah
1: Sturman in his work Uh, pointed to that downside, that that's post-reinforcement synchronization. Mm -hmm. And after the correct button push, or if it's a cat tapping a bar to get some uh, chicken broth and milk, after a correct response, you see a burst of alpha. And that burst of alpha is the same burst of alpha that you would get if you took a shot of heroin. But unfortunately, heroin only gives it to you the first time, and it gets less and less and less effective. But when you make a proper guess, a proper response, the brain's telling you, ah, you got it. That's the post-reinforcement synchronization. It's a nice big burst of alpha, very brief burst, but it's the brain's way of saying, ah, I got it. Um, uh, Self-reinforcement, a pat on your own back. You know and uh it it, it's missing uh uh, in in a lot of uh, life circumstances unfortunately so yeah
2: yeah and how do you train that down once it's been up right and i think this is why a lot of people are going from that anxiety depression anxiety depression anxiety depression you know where is that satisfaction in the middle i mean a term that used to be extremely novel I would say 10 years ago was anxious depression. Okay. I don't see a lot of people who just have that good old standard sadness, melancholy depression. Majority of the people that I'm working with now, it's an anxious depression. I'm sure most of my colleagues in, in the field of neuro would really agree. Um, and the regions of the, of the brain um, that are, are, are showing this, it's not, one site. It's not just the imbalance in the frontal yeah. lobes anymore. The exhibit is really, really involved in all of
1: this now. Yeah. And the individuals uh, pointing 1.5 to 3 Tesla magnets at the head for uh, TMS uh, have some specific targets that they assume are there, uh, but they're not always there. And they don't use the EEG as guidance to see whether they are there. Unfortunately, uh, they have a standard protocol with a standard location, assuming left frontal alpha. Um, and as the i d study with over 3,000 patients with depression showed, it isn't all left frontal alpha. So, you know, the, the basic assumption isn't uh, uh, correct. But if you actually look, you, you will see. And you'll also identify those that have one... Uh, one hertz uh, stimulation on the right needed to get rid of beta spindling. And um, the the TMS practitioner not doing EEG uh, is basically being guided by the DSM. And we know how well the DSM predicts outcomes. If you want to optimize your clinical outcomes, know what you're shooting your magnet at. Actually, look at the EEG before you point it. And there are... Uh, patented approaches, uh, to, to treat the thalamocortical dysrhythmia, uh, using, uh, dissociative drugs and TMS at the same time, uh, ketamine, DMT, psilocybin and so forth. I don't think their patents any good, but they patented it anyway. And, uh, that, you know, they're, they're not looking at the DSM at all. Uh, they're looking, at the line of dysrhythmia, and pointing the magnet at that, and giving a dissociative drug, turning up the intensity on the magnet, and and uh, blasting away, and uh, the you know uh, uh, TMS is um, neuromodulatory. There's a lot of ways to modulate the nervous system. You don't necessarily have to use a 1.5 to 3 tesla magnet. You can do neurofeedback. You can do DC stim, AC stim. Uh, uh, Dirk DeRitter implants electrodes. I mean, there's lots of ways to to do your neurostim.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people, though, they, they, you know, the the subtle changes, the self-awareness of, of change, I think a lot of people just don't feel they're getting better until they literally get a blast.
1: Yeah.
2: Can we have a little fun, Jay? Comments on, it, it's been a trend for a while. It kind of freaks me out. The young ladies putting magnets on their eyes to attach eyelashes. Can you tell us what that may or may not be doing to the brain?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, I've been
2: constantly counseling people: don't do this. The eyes are the one exposed—you um, um, know—parts of the brain. But literally, magnets. Please
1: give us the science. To- I I can't imagine this. No. But when I stop and think about it, the the number of things that have been done uh, for the, uh, belladonna, yeah. uh, you know, make your pupils large. You put belladonna uh, yeah. uh, uh, the toxicity into your eyes to dilate them. Um, uh, uh, mercury was a common uh, uh, substance Med. for uh, uh, makeup, yeah. and if you look at makeup now, uh, half half the stuff is got. You know, recalls and toxicity and heavy metals and there's, you know, uh, um, it's not regulated in a way that you might uh, consider mm-hmm. I, the, the magnets on the eyes is not the first stupid makeup thing that I've heard of. Um, uh, but you can see I'm not really terribly concerned with cosmetics. <laughs>
0: what put,
2: sorry
0: I, you got to explain to me what is go they're like little tiny magnets is going underneath the skin and they're sticking like how did uh
2: well it's essentially you you put uh you know the way you used to put glue on the uh top of the lids to attach um uh, false eyelashes people are now essentially putting uh magnets on on the eyelid and then attaching magnetized eyelashes um it's it it it's been around quite a while but it's really really being
1: so out. now okay. a, a magnet puts out a static field mm-hmm. but a moving magnet
0: mm-hmm.
1: puts out an alternating field yeah uh, you know yeah. there's there's actually a tms device um that <laughs> that has uh, rollers that spin fixed magnets at 0.65 Tesla, and they rotate the magnets to create the repetitive magnetic field. And they've, they've got a series of them that sit down the midline of the brain. Uh, and uh, so, you know, uh, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, but without, you um, electromagnetic pulse but with pulsed rotating fields well batting your eyelashes 10 times a second uh which which could be an involuntary eye flutter eye flutter as voluntary is capped at about six movements a second Mm -hmm. but um you know you're (laughs) you're, you're, you you've got an alternating generator uh that you're moving and goodness knows what the effect on on uh, um, uh, um, the the brain of a subtle uh, six hertz or uh, yeah. fluttery uh, frequency might be. Uh, I thought... have
2: to ask, folks, um, you know, how recently you've had Botox, and now are you wearing these silly things? You know, before we do an EEG, yeah.
0: Well... <laughs> 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 yeah, but Botox. <laughs> Botox, <laughs> Botox won't get rid of the scar, though. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember from my John Anderson neurofeedback training that I took three times, and maybe I retained 5% of it. When your eyeball closes, doesn't that do something that a positive and negative circuit? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. what,
1: in, in fact, if you look at the EEG, um, the, the eye blink in an, in an EEG has a very sharp a positive downward aspect of it and then a slow roly negative aspect of it because the eye the eye blinks and then slowly returns and uh, that that eye blink is essentially a, a dipole now the literature will tell you the dipole is the difference between the retina and the cornea and that's published it's peer-reviewed it's repeated again and again the <laughs> dipole again. The dipole is the difference between the aqueous and vitreous humor in the eye. If you perforate the membrane that separates them, you short the dipole. So people that have had cataract surgery have a good eye and a cataract surgery eye. You're gonna get an eye blink on one side and really not much of anything on the other. So uh, it's it's literally, uh, but it's a dipole that you're rotating. So it's doing DC stim. Uh, there are some people that would uh, uh, early on in the uh, EMDR where you have to look right, left, right, left. Uh, they were suggesting that there was a DC stimulation of the frontal lobe, alternating back and forth with the the eye movement. Now you can simulate that with a with a DC you know device, but it, uh, it's it's more than just the DC movement of the eye uh, for EMDR, but. Um, uh, that you know you you do have a dipole and and it is a it's a very strong dipole, you, you get 150 to 300 microvolts pretty commonly sometimes 500 microvolts in kids you know really large uh, strong dipoles, um, uh, so it, it, it's a it's a fairly strong signal, but um, I, I don't know that they're uh, timing it well enough to have a specific therapeutic effect or anything
0: now now the last thing and then uh we'll 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 close out ladies and gentlemen a lot of the problems that we're running into is advertising right when it comes down to it whatever it is you know somebody's trying to sell something somebody's trying to make you act in a certain way in the future and people will pay money to do that in The Social Dilemma, they talk about that. If anybody hasn't watched it on Netflix, check it out. It's very, very good, very disturbing. We're getting to the end of this year. Now we're getting to next year, which is an election year. Okay. I'm sure we're going to have the Trump effect. We're going to have, you know, the, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. And if the uh, talk therapy people are booked now, just wait, what can we anticipated an election here.
2: guys. I'm going to jump in as a Canadian. Yeah, please read read your history books, see what you're walking into, go back to your history books. And I really make a great huge call out to anybody in any um, capacity of disseminating information, any educator, bring people back to history.
0: Yeah. well, I, 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 I would
1: suggest the late 20s through the 1930s is a good stretch to look at yeah. uh, when uh, the United States had its own uh, little earlier encounter with fascism. Um, and that uh, is it's quite eye-opening uh, to, to actually look at the detail of the history. And it's not... Yeah. You know, you know. Don't I, forget, I, Spain I, I didn't learn about the 1930s yeah. in school. I'll say that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. But people, I mean, people walk into this not blindly. They they walk into this happily. You know, Franco, Mussolini. Um, you know, everybody references Hitler. That that one, but uh you well, know, it, it's uh, it's it's all there. It's, it's, all it's there.
0: interesting you bring up history because today is December 7th. You know, Pearl Harbor uh fdr couldn't get america together on anything and he needed pearl harbor to happen to unite everybody to go deal with the issues over there and That's now you're not trying moment. to start uh you're not trying to start a rumor that this was an
1: inside job now are you I, pearl I, Harbor. You know,
0: I, so. I well the <laughs> isolationism was there you know you had your 9-11 you what To get everybody together, now we have this political advertising that's going to come up next year, and it's going to divide, you know, everybody as best they can, as best that they can, because that's what they're getting paid to do. And it's just people need to know it's going to happen, and they have to have some type of strategy to deal with it, or it's going to be oh my goodness, everybody's going to uh, put their heels in the sand; (laughs) they're they're not going to budge, and uh, you're going to have people getting. Love Trump, hate Trump, whatever it is, he triggers a lot of things out there. And and yeah. people are going to be disturbed up here in a couple of months because it's really gonna get
2: I wrote about that too. The...
0: What chapter? What chapter?
2: <laughs> um oh, yo uh pause here, I'll get it. Um okay. But no, I actually, yeah, in the attention economy, I think. I think, I think, I think.
0: Oh, this is great clickbait, by it's the way. 23. It's uh, uh, you know, I have a solution. 24. If you start to get chapter over-aroused. No.
1: If when you start to get 20... over-aroused and agitated with political ads and things like that. Mm-hmm. What you want is a warm heated blanket uh, Uh, on your on your lap. That can do zoom. It calms everything down really, really well. uh, To have a warm heated blanket, and uh, 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 especially one that has a. Nice speeding heart and yeah. slow breathing you know
0: <laughs> well you we can't sell the dog hope, but paste me
1: to <laughs> call me down some so
0: yeah. can can we, can we sell the book chapter 24 what is yeah chapter 24 chapter the
2: attention economy i i really i actually get into you know
0: all the yeah, stuff that's going to happen of, next year
2: yeah
0: chapter yeah. 24 okay we're going to put that link right here okay see if i remember it next week <laughs> you know i there there are books out there that
1: are self-publication books that are that, that are not well written but there is a book here that's actually well written uh, uh, it reads well uh, it's not uh, somebody who thinks they can write It's somebody who can actually write and think so uh, th- there's a big difference <laughs> so uh, updated. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd urge you to uh, get a copy and flip through it. It's, uh, it, it's got a lot of good thinking in it.
2: Are you talking about my book, Jack?
1: Yes. Oh no, I would never. Uh, I would never. <laughs> actually, uh, it's
2: a cute story. I, I never I,
1: promote. I, don't, I I don't promote things here. You know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it actually isn't uh, self published, Jay. I, I self published. I like many people, because you know, trying to navigate the market. But then I got picked up by a publisher within yeah. four months of it being out. So it's no, yeah. it's not self-published. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. But as I say, there are a lot of self-published books too. So yeah. you know, don't yeah. uh, just because it's a book uh, doesn't get it mentioned necessarily. It's got to actually be well
0: done. Yeah. So yeah, and we're not biased. So There's, an There's an idea. There's an idea. Yeah. uh dr marie jay gong another noodle network podcast thank you so much thank you both
2: <laughs> see you
0: next enjoy week. your day all right bye guys bye. bye-bye the NeuroNoodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you